This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is The Break, brought to you by Eurosport at the Betfred World Snooker Championship Final, where Ronnie O'Sullivan has a crucial three-frame overnight lead over Kyron Wilson. We look back on the story of the first two sessions and look ahead to the last day. Also, we'll be catching up with Eurosport presenter Colin Murray to hear about his crucible experience over the past three weeks. A lively chat, I'm sure that will be. I'm Rachel Casey and joining me again are Neil Foles, Eurosport's pundit and ex-player, of course, as well as Eurosport commentator Phil Studd, never bleary-eyed, these two, fresh as daisies. And Ronnie O'Sullivan had a six-frame lead, Neil. It's been reduced to three. We've got some final on our hands. Yes, um, an 8-2 up was probably flattering to him, actually, because... A lot of the frames were closer. You could have argued that it could have been a couple of frames, two or three frames. So it would have been a surprise to me had it continued along those lines. And what I liked about Kyron Wilson, I thought the conditions were poor tonight. Maybe we'll discuss that more. But actually, I felt that uh, Kyron, he's playing in his first world final. He's not going to just bow out, is he? He started to get quite pumped up, played some good snooker, didn't have the best of luck. And the last frame of the night at the time felt significant because... Kyron really should have won it, having seen Ronnie get a horrendous kick. And Ronnie just cleared up the last one in the colours. Very un-O'Sullivan-like to win ugly frames. It's never been his style, but maybe if, as he gets to this sort of stage of his career, he's going to have to use his experience and he has to dig himself out of a hole tonight. And uh, he's in front overnight. He definitely is in front overnight. I think he'd probably be relieved that they could just kind of pack up and, and head off there, Phil. And doubly so that he's three frames clear when it looks as though it could only be one. For most of the day, O'Sullivan's been below par, specifically his long game, which was fantastic at the start of the tournament against Tepchaira Nu, and at times has been very good, but at other times has been erratic. It really deserted him today. I think he was in the low 40s for long pot success converted. His overall pot success was by his standards mediocre. It was around about the mid-80s. And his demeanour in the arena, even though he's been in front all day, smacked of someone who's clearly not happy with the state of his game. And he was making a lot of mistakes. In the first session, Kyron Wilson was playing as badly as him and couldn't capitalise on those mistakes O'Sullivan was making in the second half of the match tonight. He's played a lot better and has been able to capitalise, and that's why he's still in contention, albeit three frames behind. And uh, even in in the longest format of the game, we all say, this next frame is massive. Oh, this frame could be huge. But the last two frames on both sessions, you know, 
absolutely massive, mm. I think, anyway. It's a good point, because really, Kyron could have won them both, in which case he goes into an overnight lead. He's not behind. He'd have been 9-8 up. The way I see this match right, you've got one guy in Kyron Wilson who is absolutely desperate to become world champion. He's got his family there. He's a huge family man. His parents there have always supported him. He wants to, not only to do himself justice, doesn't really describe it. He, he is desperate to become world champion. On the other hand, you've got Ronnie O'Sullivan, five times a champion. It could well be the last time he's ever in a world final. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case, because a lot of people thought they'd never see him in a final again. So he knows this could be his last opportunity. And even by Ronnie's standards of, of being stylish out there, he, if he has to scrap, he'll go into the trenches and do it. That's what it feels like. And I think we saw him roll the sleeves up in that final frame of the first session. You know, he, he was up for the fight. He's actually played two really good frames today. The one you alluded to where he played a couple of very telling safety shots. It went down to the last couple of colours. Kyron Wilson took on a tough long pink, which he rattled and double kissed and O'Sullivan potted pink and black. But he really applied himself at the back end of that frame. It was almost as though he can sense this is a moment where I can take control of this match instead of 5-3, which is an OK lead, but nothing special in a best of 35. It's going to be four. And he did that. And then he made a really cool clearance to the black in the first frame on the resumption this evening after Wilson looked as though he was going to win it. He was unlucky not to land on a red going into the bunch. So those two frames for me were the most impressive that O'Sullivan played all day. And you felt as though he was really dialed in. But there was plenty either side of that, which was quite ordinary. Now, you came in skipping there, I have to say, lively as ever. And it would be very easy if you did come in with bleary eyed. It took us all a bit of time to, to get over what happened yesterday. And I think looking at the players out there as well, they've looked a little bit tired, a bit flat after yesterday's epic semi-final. I mean, exhaustion is going to kick in and it'll kick in in, in lots of different ways at different stages. Yeah, that's right. Both players are going to get a reaction. Tomorrow they're going to be out there spitting fire. Don't worry, that's changing. Tomorrow is not going to matter. The interesting thing is the last final O'Sullivan played, don't forget, 2014, he beat Barry Hawkins with a session to spare. He actually got a day off before the final. He didn't play on that day because the one session that was due in that match, uh, he'd already won the match by then. So Selby's semi-final, that to play two sessions. So Ronnie got a lovely day off. And didn't win the final. So it, there's an argument that, you, well, listen, it's two and a half weeks. You know you're in it. And it, you don't really need time off. You can, you, can, you can have a good sleep and a good rest, you know, once, once this tournament's over and you've won or lost it. Yeah, we took the, uh, the gap in their crucible experience and, and also life experience. You know, we know that Ronnie O'Sullivan knows, you know, what it's going to take. He knows the demands of even what tomorrow will bring. At 44, you think that he's going to be the one maybe a little bit jaded, but he's a, he's a picture of health. And I think that's probably going to stand to him as well. You know, all the work he puts in. He's a very young 44, isn't he? Because of the way he plays, you know, he's still the fastest player on the circuit. He has that flamboyance. He looks after himself. We know he's very into his exercise, uh, the way he eats. And, you know, as a result, he, he doesn't look his age. And, you know, this is a generational battle, isn't it? I mean, Kyron Wilson was born shortly before Ronnie O'Sullivan turned professional. But when you look at the two of them, you, you wouldn't imagine that that was the case. But remember, it's seven years since O'Sullivan won this. So maybe he has kind of forgotten how to win it. And he certainly looked under the pump tonight. Even though he was in front, he was seeing Kyron Wilson beginning to play better and come back at him. And he's definitely feeling the pressure. Let's talk about that generation gap and... We talk about 16 years, but, you know, so much uh, Ronnie has achieved in his career. 36 ranking titles, three for Kyron Wilson, his first final at the Crucible. Before Ronnie's 18th birthday, he'd won a, a UK championship. 
How many 44-year-olds is the big question I want to ask you? A little bit of trivia in here. How many 44-year-olds have won the World Snooker Championship? I'll go to you, Phil. Are we going back through the ages here or just at the Crucible? Just at the Crucible. Well, Ray Ridden's obviously the oldest. 1978, when he beat Perry Marnes, he was, I think, 45 years and 206 days. Oh, OK. Well, we'll um, give you a double bonus. How many hours? <laughs> uh, can't remember. Stuart Bingham would be there, I imagine. No. Certainly in his 40s when he won The it. answer to the question, first of all, put you out of your misery, and maybe I might my, my, my explain it a bit more, is none. Zero is the answer. Mark Williams was 43 in 2018, and Ray Rudin was indeed 45 uh, in 1978. Just on those stats you've given there, back in the day when Ray Rudin won it, it was supposedly a sort of an older man's game. Then all the youngsters come through. Now it's an older man's game again, because Bingham won in 2015 at 43. Williams... Uh, one, what was it, two years ago in his 40s, and it could be Ronnie wins this year. So what's happened? You know, we've gone back to where we were with things. The young brigade, without getting into what Ronnie said about them the other day, the young amateurs and the young people coming through, uh, they're not up to it. He's right, but th- that will change. At the moment, these guys have still got them. OK, um, let's go back to the conditions tonight. Let's talk more about this evening because the cushions were very springy, bouncy, jaws reactive. And I think at one point, Neil, you said the table was playing really tough. Very tough. And I wasn't surprised that Cairo missed that red along the cushion in the last frame, which would have won in the frame, took him back to a frame behind. What happens is, without getting too technical, because we've been there before with all this stuff, when you've got air conditioning, you find that the, the cushions become... The rubber becomes sort of harder and there's no give in it. The table looks like it's like a skating rink. It's like like lightning, but you can't screw back on it. But the balls are bouncing off the cushions and all everything just tells you it's like a table from when we used to play in the Far East in air-conditioned rooms. Mm. Uh, it's not playing very well, but just what can co- you do about that? Well, nothing now, but of no. course it'll be the same table tomorrow and tomorrow will be a different day. But I think you mentioned that maybe even the fans, you know, you talk about the humidity in there. Uh, just listening to the sounds of the crowds, the oohs, the owls, you know, um, nothing could be recre- recreated, you know, nothing that a button could do. And it was just beautiful, Phil, wasn't it? And I did actually hear a mobile phone towards the back Even end of the better. Session. And I've never been happier than to hear <laughs> an interruption like that because it's been so strange not to have a crowd. It's been surreal. And, you know, we all desperately wanted an audience for this World Championship. It certainly deserved one because it's created so many highlights uh, unforgettable memories particularly in the semi-finals of course so just to have some normality back even if normally these would be things that would irk us it was actually quite reassuring to know that we have an audience and we have mobile phones going off at inopportune moments yeah and you know what there was actually a moment at eight two i did wonder if this might not go to a fourth session as was the case uh, well more than once but there was one year that that davis absolutely annihilated poor old terry griffiths 18-3 and I think it was mid-afternoon everyone was going home on the last day. They didn't even... So I'm thinking, well, imagine now these people that got tickets for the final, they didn't know about it till two days ago. You're beginning to sweat final after the session. efforts, yeah. Might not even have been one. That would have seemed unlikely, but it was just a, it did cross my mind. These two players are, are too closely matched for that, but it did, you know, I did wonder. Kyron is his brother, his family, and, you know, all of the, the support. And I think it's it's telling, you know, his, his age at, at, at 28. And obviously, Ronnie's got so much experience, you know, going to sleep, whether it's on a lead or, or trailing. Currently, he's the man that, that's going to be hunted. Of the two players, who do you think will feel best overnight? Well, my view before a ball was struck was that I made O'Sullivan the firm favourite. I thought he'd have too much artillery for Wilson over four sessions. But even though he's taken a three-frame lead... 
I'm actually not quite so sure as I was now because having watched O'Sullivan today, clearly he's not on top of his game. He, he looks a little bit under pressure. He certainly did in the evening session. And Wilson played a whole lot better tonight. He had to, clearly. He had to raise his game, and he has. And, and although he's lost that last frame in disappointing circumstances and one or two others today that would really have stung because there were frames he could have won and with a bit more luck he perhaps should have done, I think he's playing well enough to make this very close now, and I wasn't sure that that would be the case yesterday. It's all about going out and enjoying the experience of, of playing in a final. He's 28, and uh, I'll put this one to you, Neil, uh, a question. Four players have won the world title at the age of 28. Can you name them? Uh, right. Ronnie, I think, might be one. Yes, in 2004. Um, I think Graham Dot was about that age, wasn't he? 2006. Steve Davis? No. Um, so there are two more. Let me think. Who else could have won it at age 28? No, Judd was 30, wasn't he, when he won it? Um, a legendary Mark, Welsh player. Mark Williams? Yeah, that's him, 2003. One more. Uh, oh, that's tricky. It's um, a beastly great, question, isn't it? Greatest overseas player of all time. Oh, Neil. With no, Neil Robertson. <laughs> Robbo. Yes, Neil Robertson in 2010. I've got a couple more questions to come and they're going to be an awful lot more difficult than that because Dave Hendon has, has helped well, me out. Well, that was difficult enough, frankly. <laughs> we're all, we're all, if Dave Hendon has, gone, has been digging through the almanac, we're all in trouble. get out more. <laughs> Well, we're recording this edition of The Break on day 16 of the World Championship. One day left of this brilliant event. But I know from personal experience that you need a lot of stamina, sleep and a good diet and maybe a small drop of wine to last the distance. So, how's Eurosports presenter Colin Murray been coping? Uh, Let's ask him. Hi, Colin. Hi, Rach. Lovely to talk to you. How are you surviving the big marathon? We're all right. We had an empty room with just a Eurosport table in it. We on day two we went to Argos. We got ourselves four blow up chairs. We got ourselves a ten pound rug with like little snooker balls on it. We got ourselves a kettle. Mm-hmm. And uh, what else? Jimmy White's with me now. What else? We get a mini fridge that doesn't work. <laughs> and that's it. We're happy as pigs in the proverbial. You're almost like um, Ronnie O'Sullivan. He used to be, be ordering all sorts of things like camp beds. And... <laughs> no, 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 no. I was there for those early days. Nobody's <laughs> ever spent the expense budget like Ronaldo, who uh, could bankrupt Eurosport in these tough times if, if he had got knocked out of the tournament and we had to buy him food. I remember the first time working with him and thinking, I have never seen anybody eat as much food in my life. He's, like, he's a human being. And then when you're, when you're hanging around with Ronnie as well, it's like, oh, can you just keep an eye on this bag? It's generally uh, like about uh, 10 tubs of hummus. And <laughs> I know. Always, Ronnie, Ronnie always has um, Three a big chickens. Bag. He always has a big bag full of food. Jimmy always has a big bag full of used 50-pound notes. So <laughs> between the two, there's always something to look after. Well, we all know, and Jimmy knows, cash is king, and it still is in, in the world of, of Jimmy White. We saw you having a little cuppa with the rocket in his, in his dressing room, and, you know, after the last few years hanging around with, with Ronnie in Sheffield, he's quite cool up there, even though he's not had the success in, in recent years, but he yeah. seems to be so chilled. Ronnie can be different from tournament to tournament, and that's absolutely fine. The last person I saw before lockdown, actually, Rachel, was Ronnie for something else. And he was just there. And I went, wow, 
you're in such a wonderful, wonderful headspace. And when I first saw him back here at the Crucible, before ball was parted, I said he's probably going to win the tournament. Wow. And the reason why I said that was, listen, Jimmy and Neil and these, these great players are, are great experts when it comes to the snooker. I don't think they've got their psychology degrees. As journalists, you and I will look a lot more at the person than the sport. And Judd Trump last year, it was clear that he was in the most perfect place in his mind. Everything was right off the table, and it happened on the table. And you could just sense when Ronnie was here. And he has been as consistently batty and brilliant and happy <laughs> as I've ever known him. And the interviews, he's, you know, we were on air. And uh, the, the semi-final night, and he had to wait for us for 15 minutes to do an interview. Now, most players wouldn't do that. And he was just, took another half an hour to do the interview because he just wanted to talk about this, that, and the other. And let us into the dressing room today, ahead of the first session of the final, or probably yesterday as people hear this. Yeah. That's unprecedented, you know? Well, it is. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we get to snooker as a support and my two main sports are, are snooker and, and horse racing. And, you know, the access in both sports are, are fantastic. You know, we get to share the pain when they lose, the joy when yeah. they win. And I'm sure you've noticed that being on site this year, you know, interviewing all of the players, you know, whether they've come there as a debutante, as a qualifier, yeah. whatever they are, you'll see that they're all just down to earth sound guys. Not all of them. Um, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> Being on site is different, especially after the lockdown. Um, the comparison argument when it comes to mental health is a really dangerous one. Some people would have had the most horrific periods throughout the last four or five months. They would have to deal with tragedy and loss and severe illness. Other people, they worked nonstop, whether it was stacking shells, whether it was driving trucks or right up to working in the NHS. Everyone's different. Everyone has to deal with it. So every player had to go through whatever they had to go through. In the case of Karen Wilson, he had to deal with a non-COVID related but a serious illness to his wife, uh, losing somebody very close to him as well. And I have found that that has actually opened everybody up, not just the players, but me as well, Jimmy. The conversations we're having now are much more the conversations we should be having about our minds. And you're right, this is not media-trained Premier League footballers we're interviewing and that brings a wonderful realness to it. I've just had some of the best conversations I've had with any sports people. And by the way, that sound in the background is Jimmy calling shots. Oh, I just, I was just, I was a bit worried that he was calling that the dinner had arrived or something. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Has he been asking you what day it is each day? Because uh, they all sort of roll into one, don't they? Do you know what? If Jimmy knowing what that is is the least of my concerns. I have to say, I don't want him to hear this, so I'll whisper it. I don't want him to hear it. But, like, you know, before a ball was struck, I said to him, pick out somebody from the pack. And he picked Kurt Mafflin, and I don't think anyone had. And mm. I think, you know, bar a dreadful first session against Anthony McGill, you know, who knows how far he would have went. But he, he was one of the joys of the tournament. And Jimmy's great at seeing the man and knowing the player. So he's, I think he's just been absolutely fantastic to have in the studio I think guys you've 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 both been doing a, a brilliant job we've uh, really really loved uh, the coverage um you said yesterday that snooker can be the most exciting and the most boring of games that anyone that oh, watched it oh. watched it for the first time yesterday we, we probably gained a few more fans I would imagine I think so I mean my, my brother lives in South Carolina or North Carolina I think it's South he's just moved and um he's not a big snooker fan and he he's, he had the VPN out 
and messages from people that don't usually watch it. And that's great. Days like that just slap you in the face. They just come from nowhere and just smack you in the face because that's what live sport is. We've been there on nights where, you know, for being honest, you're just like, let this torture end. Uh, Neil Foltz has a great phrase, which is he'll say, <laughs> I should say this, but if we're watching the match and he hates it, he'll say, my eyes cannot unsee this ever. <laughs> and, and it is that type of sport. It, it's a precision sport. And I think darters, snooker players, golfers, they just one day can wake up and, and have the magic touch and everything's middle of the fairway, everything's centre of the pocket. And then the next day you just can't hit anything. It's that, that great quote, if you want to know the ending, go to the theatre. Mm-hmm. It's already been written. If you want something that can bore you to tears or thrill you in a way like nothing else, watch live sport. I know, class, absolutely class. You just never know how things will go. But uh, we've got a wonderful final. And you've um, been great. Thanks so much. Send my love to Jimmy, to, to Neve, to James, all the team there working so hard. Thanks so much, Colin. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, Neil, Collins said that you came out with a great one there. My eyes can't unsee this. What is the, the, the match that you wish you could never see again? I know you enjoyed um, Nigel Bond and Martin O'Donnell there in the summer. <laughs> There's a, lo- a lot of matches I played in. Uh, let's just get that straight, you know, would have been like that. I played in some matches towards the end of my career. Yeah, the, look, the match with Martin O'Donnell and um, Nigel Bond, it, uh, I, look, you, you brought it up. I wasn't going to actually. I felt a little uncomfortable because... Are you, are you backtracking now? No, you, no, no. Because you absolutely lambasted them. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I've actually... I had a little go at uh, Martin O'Donnell, who's a, the, the nicest guy you couldn't wish to meet. But we've had some good chats since, and uh, we've put it all behind us. Uh, I, look, I have to say, as I see it out there, you know, I, I could well be wrong, but at least I'll offer my opinion, as we all do, because it's the only way. There's a lot of matches like that, and, and Colin's right, you know. I mean, snooker can be quite dull. Right, um, but the moments we had in that in the semi-finals were special, very special. The first semi-final was bonkers, mm. uh, astonishing. You get goosebumps even thinking of yesterday. And as I said, be ready because Dave Hendon has helped me out with our final two questions uh, for this edition, including Kyron Wilson. How many Crucible finalists have there been? It's the forty-fourth year at the Crucible. So how many finalists have we had? Philip Studd, I'll throw that to you. Crikey, I mean, that is a curveball and a half, isn't so, it? So there's been 44 championships. There's been a, lo- a lot of multiple finalists, you know, the, the Hendries and I would say something like 25. I'm going to say a bit less than that, uh, 18. The answer is 30. Wow. And, and wow. Dave came up with that corker and he had another one. And although, like me, I thought we wouldn't catch you out, he said actually in his own words, Neil, that you've inhaled the almanac. <laughs> and see if you can answer this. Which is the only year the number one and two seeds made the final at the Crucible? I think I know that. You know that one, don't you? Uh, I do, but... Uh, I'm not going to insult your intelligence by by telling you. So you, you, you go ahead. Eighty-seven. It was uh, Steve Davis and Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson was very lucky that year in his semi-final. I can't remember who he played, but um, no, they were the one and two seeds. Yeah, and they <laughs> they reached the final. The people don't think of it as being That's that. That's thinking on your feet, Phil. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'll know. never embarrass you. Well, of course, <laughs> of course, uh, Joe still remains the guy who came closest to breaking the curse because uh-huh. he got to within four frames mm. of Davis the year after he won it. I think the reason you, people might not get that is because, as great a player as Joe was, he was actually the number one seed because he'd won it. You think of maybe the O'Sullivan and John Higgins or Steve Davis, Stephen Hendry playing each other, but you know, interestingly, they never met in a final, did they? But, okay, so yeah. you. 
We got it. We got it. Are poo pooing Dave's Dave question? Dave needs to try then. a bit harder. Definitely. <laughs> right, finally, guys, uh, Ronnie or Kyron for the 2020 World Snooker Championship. Right. Well, I've got a funny feeling that if if you think this is going to be a very predictable end and Ronnie's just going to go away and win, it's not been that kind of a year. So while everything points to Ronnie winning and he may still win, there's going to be some drama in the final day. There is sure to be. I think Ronnie might win it, but to think it's just going to be a a run-of-the-mill day, well, you haven't been following the plot this year because it hasn't worked that way, has it? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I'd thought before a ball was struck, as I said, that O'Sullivan would win and probably quite handsomely. Now I'm not so sure. I think O'Sullivan will probably get over the line, but I think it could be a very close finish. You two are true troopers. Thank you so much. That's all for now. We'll have our final edition of the break during these championships ready for you as soon as possible after the final tomorrow. Cannot wait. We'll have the usual expert analysis and exclusive content from the Crucible. If you've been enjoying the podcast during the World Championship and you want more, please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And don't forget, it's Eurosport and eurosport.co.uk for all the live coverage of the World Snooker Championship final. Back tomorrow, but for now, from Phil, Neil and myself, goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.